The Today's Homeowner Radio Podcast is brought to you by The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Today's Homeowner with Danny Lipford, your partner in home improvement. Everyone has questions about their home. We've got the answers, and we have a few laughs along the way. Informative, entertaining, and sometimes off the wall. Home improvement has never been this much fun. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this hour of today's Homeowner Radio. I'm Danny Lipford, along with my buddy Joe Truini. And during this hour, we're going to talk about how you can protect that wood outdoor furniture. Very important that you take a few precautions there to make sure it lasts and looks as good as it should. Also, painted trim or stain trim. Boy, it's a personal preference, but a few things to consider. We're going to help a homeowner make that decision in just a bit. And also, revitalizing a brick patio. Bricks are extremely durable, but they still need a little maintenance and a little love along the way. We're going to give some advice on that as well. Of course, lots of emails coming in, and Joe's got a little simple solution solution for us in a bit. Joe, what can we expect? This is a quick tip on how to remove rust from your lawn and garden tools. Perfect. Well, during this time of the year, when you're starting to use those tools, you realize that. And a uh, matter of fact, I, I broke out a, um, uh, a post hole digger, um, right. not not necessarily one of my uh, favorite tools to grab um, out of the garage. But um, and boy, I looked at the, the blades on those things yep. and it was just as dull yeah. I don't I don't think it ever had an edge on it at all. And so putting it in my vice and taking a file and putting my safety glasses on, man, I put a nice little edge oh, good. on that. It's going to make it um, a lot easier for my son-in-law to dig those holes that he's going to have to dig. So. <laughs> he's going to be using the spray paint marking where the holes go. Yeah, hurry, yeah, that's hurry me. Hurry up, Danny. That's, I'm, that's all, me. I'm running oh. out of paint. <laughs> hey, we want to help you with any challenge that you might be having around your home, and we make it as easy as possible. First of all, if you like to send emails, we like to get them, so you can send us one right now at todayshomeowner.com slash ask, or you can join us on the hotline, 800-946-4420. Got some great calls this week, and we're going to go to the hotline right now for one of those calls. This is Bill Lore in California, a retired general contractor. Uh, A couple of callers had some problems with contractors doing poor jobs, and you, you know, gave some suggestions that one of them is to go to an attorney, uh, which is not a bad idea. However, just a recommendation from me, before the homeowner, the client goes to the expense of hiring an attorney, the homeowner can go directly to their state contractor's license board uh, at no cost to them, and that's generally enough to light a fire under uh, under any licensed contractor. Yeah, as a licensed contractor, you do not want to get, uh, you know, in trouble with the contractor's license board, because they can issue fines and penalties and uh, all kinds of bad stuff. So uh, that's my tip. Uh, you guys have a great show. I'll keep listening. Thank you. 
All right. Well, I, well, we appreciate Thank you taking you. the time to, great. To, yeah. to call in because that is very good advice because we didn't want to uh, to give the impression that, hey, if you got a problem, run to the lawyer right away. Uh, we really didn't mean to impart that. If someone's completely ignoring you and you've been done wrong and you've done everything you possibly can, yes, that's the next step. But this is great advice because almost every state has state licensing boards and that will um, do exactly what he says. They will contact and say, we have a complaint. You need to remedy it within a certain amount of days. And again, they can levy fines and jeopardize their builder's license, which really jeopardizes their livelihood. Which brings up a very important um, part of this that we haven't mentioned often enough, Danny, is when you hire a contractor, make sure they are licensed. Because if they're not licensed, there's no board to 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 report them to because they won't have any they won't know that this person is even a contractor because they don't have a license for them to look up. So um, the very first thing is make sure they're licensed, um, and then if you run into trouble, trouble, um, then you can go to the license board. Exactly. Very very good advice. And thanks again for that that great call. Let's go back to the hotline for another call. Hi, my name is Dolores, and I have some oak outdoor furniture. And I want to know what should I do to protect it because I leave it out year round. But what can I put on the oak to protect it? Okay, all right. That's a great question. And there's a lot of oak and redwood and cedar and treated wood, a lot of things like that um, that are used for outdoor furniture. Joe, first of all, got to get it good and clean. And of sure. course, the question is has there been a finish put on it before? Most likely, if it was designed for outside, they put something on it. But what are the steps that she should go through on this? Yeah, you would think so. First of all, if it's oak furniture and it's outdoors and leaving it outdoor year round, that's a mistake. Um, we're not sure where Dolores lives, um, but oak is not weather resistant. It's nice and hard and it's pretty and everything else, but it really, I mean, I would never build outdoor furniture out of oak. But in any case, yeah, she's going to have to, I mean, if there's a finish on it, she's going to have to strip it down, sand it, use a citrus-based stripper. We're not sure what's on it right now. If it's just an oil-based finish that's soaked in, then you could just, um, you know, or just a stain, then you could just sand it lightly and apply a new, new finish. Now you really need to, the best case scenario would be to get down to bare wood. Then what do you add, protect it with, um, any oil rub finish, or, um, we've mentioned in the past, Danny, a product that you've used on your house for some outdoor wood from a company called Total Boat. It's a marine product, and the brand is the, the product is called Lust L U S T. So she could try that as well. But I would really, really highly recommend bringing it indoors or covering it up, or doing something, especially because it's oak. But any wood furniture really should be brought in. Um, yeah. If you I, if you in a if you have a winter of, of cold and rainy and snowy weather. Yeah, if there's periods that you're not going to use it, it only makes sense to, you know, get it in the garage or up on the porch or someplace that protects right. it a little bit. Hey, let's go back to the today's homeowner hotline for another call. Hello, Danny. It's just, uh, I have a new toilet stove that I put in, and every time you flush it, as soon as it gets through flushing, as the new water coming in, and making a girdle sound. The old one didn't do it. I was wondering if there's anything wrong with the new toilet or something else needs to be done. Well, Joe, that's not something that we uh, we hear very much about no. it making sound. Usually that's a water pressure issue or um, maybe there's something binding the actual um, function of the um, the flapper or the, um, the, the, the 
tower in there and so forth. But what do you think? What would be making a sound like that? So this is a new toilet. Am I understanding uh -huh. this guy? So it's a brand new toilet and it didn't uh -huh. happen before. Um, well, obviously something changed between putting in a new toilet. First, I would check, make sure the valve's fully open. Um, sometimes the, you, know, you have to shut the valve, obviously, right. when, uh -huh. when, you, when you install a new toilet. Uh -huh. And maybe it wasn't open all the way. So you want to make sure it's getting a full flow of water. Um, and other than that, other, you know, take the, the lid off the tank, flush it a couple of times and stare in there. Even if you're not really familiar with how a toilet works, you'd be able to tell if something's not working properly because there are very few moving parts, especially in a new toilet. And as Danny said, you want to make sure the flapper, the round part at the bottom at the base goes up and down smoothly, covers the, the drain hole fully. If there's a chain, the chain's not getting hung up on something because a guttural sound sounds like it's water mm -hmm. having trouble forcing its way in or out of some part of the toilet. Um, so it's a little bit of an unusual problem, but for a brand new toilet, you know, assuming it didn't come from the factory damaged or defective, um, it can only be a couple of things. And that's what I would check first. And, and it's, it's a good time to mention that, uh, um, really look at your toilet and really pay attention, uh, on all of the toilets in your house, especially those that you don't use a lot, because if there's a small leak in that toilet, it's going to cost you hundreds of oh, dollars yeah. a year, uh, in leaks. It's amazing how much water can, can get through there. And one of the little tips that we mentioned from time to time is if you suspect your toilet is running a little bit, um, then just take some food coloring, um, you know, red or green and just drop it in the tank, not the bowl. Take the tank lid off, drop you a few drops in there, and then look in the bowl and see if you see any color being introduced in there. That's a clear sign that the flapper is not sealing off the tank water and allowing it to dribble down through there. No matter how minor that leak is, it, is, um, it will cause that water after a while to turn on to refill the tank, and there's another couple gallons and another couple gallons of water that you're spending. So you want to try to Try to avoid that any way that you can. Hey, coming up, we're going to be talking about uh, more remodeling and um, the challenge that a lot of people have on whether to leave stained wood or to paint that wood. Because once you paint it, it's about impossible to go back to that stained wood. We're going to look at that and a whole lot more right here on today's Homeowner Radio. We'll be right back. Today's homeowner is brought to you by Pavestone, creating beautiful landscapes, and by Quickrete Cement and Concrete Products. It's what America's made of. The Today's Homeowner Radio Show is heard all over this great country on fantastic stations like this one in Yankton, South Dakota, K-Y-N-T-A-M 1450. Hello, everybody there in, in South Dakota. We've been on that station for a long, long time. We appreciate you listening, and we want to help you out. You know what to do. Grab that phone, 800-946-4420, or you can go on your computer and uh, send us an email at todayshomeowner.com slash Ask. Let's go back to the Today's Homeowner Hotline. I had some great calls this week. Hi, good morning, Danny. Um, I have a question about um, remodeling my home as far as the trim. My home was built, it's a three-bedroom ranch in the 60s. It's got maple trim on all the door jams, the baseboards, etc. Um, my son-in-law has refurbished the bathrooms, and that now has white trim. Um, 
I'm not sure there is a lot of maple trim in the home, the three bedrooms, hall, large living room. Um, I would have to replace all that or have it painted. Um, just wondered what the thought is about refurbishing that trim in the other rooms. Um, should I go with changing it all in the doors to white or just go ahead and try to refurbish the maple? There's a lot of damage. Um, I have tried some restore. It does, it does work on some of it, but um, just want an opinion about um, how that would be in a home, three-bedroom ranch, with mixing trim, or should I change everything out? Okay. Well, it, it happens all the time. Uh, very traditional. Now, maple trim is a little unusual. Sounds sure like, is, like yeah. an absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's so much a personal preference. You know, if you ask 10 people, you'll get, you know, 10 different opinions on that. But um, a lot of people love the look of wood and they want to preserve it no matter what. And if that's the case, then, you know, lightly sanding it and then uh, either restaining or um, putting another coat of polyurethane on it will you know, revitalize it a little bit and make it look better. Um, but, but a lot of people do paint it. And when you do paint something like that, again, you have to lightly sand it, put a, um, we recommend a bonding primer on it, and then two coats of acrylic latex paint after that. So um, it's really a personal preference. But um, Joe, um, you know, uh, I think traditionally when you're talking about an older home like this and you have the stain trim, it does make it look a little bit dated. It does. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, if you want to brighten up an area, um, I just changed out a bunch of uh, stained, you know, relatively dark brown stained pine trim downstairs on all the doors. I didn't repaint it. I actually replaced it with wider trim, um, but I painted that trim and it really is a, just a much more contemporary look. Um, but if I'm understanding her question, so her son-in-law um, refurbished the bathroom and he used white trim, but I would, I would just keep all the trim in the bathroom white and leave all the other trim in the rest of the house the way it is, assuming she that's, likes it. That's what um, I would do. It and and yeah. hopefully when he when he took the if he took the trim out of the bathroom, uh, always good when you have a unique piece of wood that you can't buy like that. Save it all the time. Right. Take the nails yep. out. Put it in the garage. You'll never, you know, you'll never know when you might need that. So I would hold on to it any time that you can. Yeah, I mean, and especially like you said, it's maple. I I can't remember seeing maple trim anywhere <laughs> in the last you know couple of decades so yeah definitely save it if you can um but i i wouldn't repaint the whole the trim in the entire house simply because that one bathroom has white trim unless like you said she wants to update the look and make it a little more contemporary i was in a house one time that uh the homeowner told me a story about um her father had built the home many years ago, and right. it was a heavily wooded lot that had a lot of magnolia trees, mm -hmm. and he brought out a sawmill. You know, you right. can have those portable sawmills. Sure. He cut the trees down, um, put them through the saw after they aged a little bit, put them through mm -hmm. the sawmill, stored them for whatever amount of time that you have to to dry it out, and then just about this whole inside of this house, walls, ceilings, trim, yeah. everything was magnolia. When's the last time you've seen that? 
Well, I have never seen that. I'm, I don't, I'm not even sure what magnolia wood looks like. Did yeah, he leave it plain, like just clear finish? Is it a uh-huh. pretty wood? Yeah. I'm not even yeah, sure. It's, re- it's real pretty and has a wow. you know a lot of patina, as they call it, and then yeah. you yeah. know the knots here and there. It, it was really nice. I mean, again, it's a personal preference whether you like a more rustic look or a more contemporary right. type of look. So, and the fact always, it came off the property is kind of cool. I know, too. and I thought that was yeah. pretty cool too. So, um, hey, let's go to some emails here. Love to get one from you. Today's homeowner.com/slash Ask. This came from uh, Denver, Colorado. Jonathan asked, um, there's a funky smell coming from my kitchen <laughs> sink. And I traced it back to the dishwasher's rubber drain hose. The hose okay. runs from the dishwasher through the side of the sink cabinet. It's connected to the vertical drain pipe beneath the sink. We tried eliminating the smell with bleach, but it doesn't help. Can I replace the hose myself or must I call a plumber? It doesn't seem like a difficult job, but I'm afraid once I remove the old hose, I won't be able to get the new and into place. What do you think? That is a pretty simple project, yeah. but um, I, I think you almost, uh, if I recall correctly, last time I did one, I pretty much had to pull that dishwasher out of the cavity unless right. you have a, you know, a unique situation where you have access to it from underneath another cabinet. It still would be very difficult to squeeze in there to get that hose, but um, I would take the the whole, uh, the hose off at the vertical drain under the sink, take it off get the flashlight, look in there and see if you're seeing anything that would be causing that smell because yeah. a little un, a little unusual there because that's a lot of water, soapy water that runs through that hose and you wouldn't think that it would have any kind of odor. What do you think? Yeah, that, that's known as the discharge hose. And the first thing you want to make sure is whether there's an old hose or a new hose that it loops up really high inside the sink cabinet. In fact, often you'll see it attached to the top, to the underside of the countertop because you want to you want to make sure the water gets pumped up over that and drains down. If it's sagging, it's always going to have water trapped in it and, and that could cause the smell. But the um the trick that I learned from a plumber many years ago um cuz that can be a little tricky getting you know pulling out the old hose isn't that big of a deal, but how do you get the new hose? How do you fish that in there? What you do is you disconnect the discharge hose from underneath the sink cabinet first and then you take the new hose and you tape it to it. Oh, there now, you go. Right mm-hmm. now, you go in the dishwasher, you disconnect it, and you yank out the old hose. If you taped it securely enough, it'll pull the old hose. It's like you know, electricians do this all the time as well. It'll pull the the new hose into place, and then you you know cut off the old hose, untape it, and then you make the two connections. So um, that I would definitely try that first, um, and in most cases, that will work. Here's another email from Nicole in New Hampshire. At the end of our driveway is a retaining wall made of wood timbers. The wall is starting to collapse and has become a real eyesore. My husband is handy, but I, uh, we just don't know how to fix it. What do you think? Well, you know, um, if it's on the driveway, that means you have good accessibility to it. And it's really as simple as just removing everything that's there. And a lot of times you'll have um, railroad ties. People use railroad right. ties all yep. the time. Um, for me, I would rather use treated wood because you can get much longer lengths of it. Of course, it costs a little bit more money. But, Nicole, if you'll just remove everything that's there, you're going to have a little shovel work to do because wherever it collapsed, you have to remove that um, you know, dirt or whatever's there and move it back up on top. Uh, there uh, while you're, you know, just so that you're clearing the path for the retaining wall. 
Then when you're putting your retaining wall in, a lot of times, um, you know, traditionally the landscape guys will drill holes vertically straight down through it with a long auger and then drive rebar down in through that in order to hold them all together. There's several ways to go on that. And another one you need to check out is um, on uh, go to pavestone.com and look at their retaining blocks. Um, very easy to use. You put dig a little trench, you put some um, paver base down there, tamp it down nice and tight and level, and then you put your first row of blocks, and then you put your second one. You're basically just gluing them together with construction adhesive. And then because they have this little support lip on the back of the blocks themselves, they will support. So they'll supporting themselves and work together, and it's a pretty darn attractive wall, um, a lot better than just having wood, depending on how much you have. So a couple alternatives there. You could use four by six treated wood, six by six treated wood, depending on what you need, or you can use the paper blocks. Either way, it can make a big difference and just a little bit of elbow grease is going to be needed there. Hey, you're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. When we come back, we're going to talk a lot about around the yard. Coming up right here on today's Homeowner Radio. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe. And welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show, where it's time for our Around the Yard segment. You know, people love their lawns and they love their gardens, but they don't love it when they start overlapping each other. That's why there's thousands of pricey planting bed border options in the home centers these days. The challenge is finding something that's flexible, durable, effective, and economical. Well, you may have already have it laying around in the yard in some form or the other in leftover pavers. If you've done a paver patio, you probably have a few leftover problems solved. Anytime you install a paver patio or pathway, the chances are pretty good you will have some leftover. Besides the fact that you already have them, the beauty of using these pavers as a border for your planting beds is that they will coordinate perfectly with the existing hardscape in your yard. Now, if you don't have any leftover, chances are someone near you does, or you can pick up some secondhand uh, on an online marketplace for just a few cents on the dollar. Now, you simply dig a shallow trench around the planting bed about half the depth of the paver and set the blocks on edge in it. Then pack the dirt back on each side to hold the paver in position. And you can make straight lines or curves, and depending on the variety of the pavers, you can create some pretty interesting patterns. Now, this Around the Yard segment brought to you by our friends at Pavestone. And you can go on pavestone.com and see all of the different types of pavers that are available. Kind of get creative out there. And you're talking about something that's going to be permanent that you won't have to worry about ever replacing. Hey, let's get back to the Today's Homeowner Hotline and take another call that we got this week. Danny, I have a sunroom, 12 by 32, red brick paver. It's probably 35 years old. So where in some areas, uh, I'm interested in the best process for cleaning, prepping, and refinishing my red brick papers. All right, so we're inside. We've got a brick floor. I've seen this many, many times, and probably, you know, maybe some wear patterns where the traffic is the most. Maybe it's starting to, if it's a sunroom, you're getting a lot of sun in there. The UV rays will kind of turn things yellow. But, Joe, I'll tell you, this is a tricky one because yeah. you can go in and lightly sand clean and put another coat on but if it's yellow 
now it's going to be yellow at, you know, if it's yellowed by the sun, it'll be yellowed right. after the new finish put on it. But I'll tell you, to strip a finish off existing bricks, that's a pretty hard task because you have to break out something called xylene, which is pretty strong and pretty toxic. It's a better alternative than some of the acids, certainly like muriatic. Um, but they do make masonry cleaners specifically designed for bricks and concrete, that kind of thing. So I think I would try cleaning a section of this brick um, with a scrub brush and a masonry cleaner. Now, as far as bricks that are worn, I mean, unless you can chop them out and you have another brick, there's really not much you can do to, to fix that. But I would clean it as well as I could with a masonry cleaner, not just soap and water. Um, and then once it's dry, completely 100% dry, apply a sealer. The sealer will protect it. Some of them have UV protection in them, um, but they certainly will stop staining and any water from seeping in, even though you're in a sunroom. I mean, if you have plants in there, you'd be watering and plants and spilling water. Um, that's about the best you can do. But yeah, if a brick is broken or worn, badly worn, I mean, you're going to have to just chip it out and try to find a matching one. Yeah, they, uh, they're they extremely durable floor, but the sun will work on them. And I would, if you decide to recoat it, make sure you're getting one that will repel the damage from UV rays. They do have them out there and make sure you have some good ventilation. Whoa, that's that's some strong smelling stuff when you're in a yeah. closed in room. So not only open the windows and the doors, but get a fan blowing somewhere so that you're you don't get loopy. You don't want to get loopy when you're putting this stuff. <laughs> well, on. some of us are loopy before we start using <laughs> right. it. But the, I, I'm not sure what kind of sunroom this is, but I remember back in, what was it, Danny, the 80s, like traditional sunrooms were very popular. I saw people adding them onto the house at a slanted glass roof and uh -huh, yeah. glass walls. And they realized, whoa, this room is way too hot for us to ever use. I know. So, it. Then about 10 years later, people started removing them from their house. So if you're interested in any kind of sunroom, I would highly recommend traditional gable roof with a roof, with roofing on it. You can add some skylights if you'd like, and then you can put glass on the walls, and that would be a lot better because that's just way too much sun when every surface is yeah, glass. it's just like a sauna room is what it's yeah. like. Uh, here's an email from Leo in Alabama. We have a two-story brick home with a leak. The leak only occurs when it's raining really hard with strong winds from the west. The upstairs windows have been recalked and sealed, and a roofer advised us to seal the brick veneer on the west wall with a penetrating masonry sealer. Do you think that will work, and do we have to apply the sealer to the whole house? Well, you know, a lot of times when you, you know, we, we have uh, problems with chimneys leaking, and often uh, they can be solved by um, putting the masonry sealer, you know, two to three coats on the exterior brick veneer. But um, that doesn't have that normally leaks, and I suspect in this case, it's probably not the bricks. If it is the bricks, right. it's probably yeah. someplace that water's getting in around the perimeter of the bricks. So um, I would, um, and one way you can do it, like we talk about all the time in, in trying to um, detect leaks, is to get a good strong water hose, start right at the bottom of the problem area, and just saturate it real slowly, and then keep moving up, have some someone in place wherever the leak's occurring so that you can see when the leak starts. And when you really spray that water methodically on that, move up a foot at a time, you get up to a certain part, all of a sudden the water's coming in, you've narrowed that, um, you've narrowed the area down to that one area that you can really look at very, very closely. And and when in doubt, caulk something. Uh, you may need additional flashing if it's a situation that is, you know, um, a larger area. Uh, but um, the masonry sealer won't hurt 
hurt and you'd, you'd want to pressure wash, get it good and clean, spray two to three coats on it, real light coats on it, and that'll seal up the pores of the bricks. And you can try that. Now, it'll change the look of your brick very slightly. It'll darken it just a tad. After a month, you won't notice anything. So, no, you don't have to do the whole house. Do the one problem area, caulk everywhere you can, seal everywhere you can, and then wait for that next rain to see if you've been able to take care of it. But um, just like on chimney situations, Joe, uh, a lot of these leaks can be almost impossible to detect sometimes. Yeah, especially in this case because it sounds like um, it doesn't leak when it just is a normal rain. And that's that's a key bit of information he has. It only leaks when there's a really strong rain and it's blowing really hard so that would eliminate most of this but yeah you certainly don't have to reseal the whole house or you know if it's only leaking on one wall so at least he knows which wall it is and like you said using garden hose might be able to make it leak so he can then make the correct repair to it there you go, Leo. You're smart to, to be proactive in that. Try to go ahead and figure out where the leak is before it really causes a lot of damage. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to tackle a whole bunch of emails. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. Today's homeowner is brought to you by Deitch Coatings. Easily roll on your new stone countertop, garage floor, and more in just a weekend with Deitch. And welcome back to the Today's Homeowner Radio Show, where it's time to tackle some emails. And you're welcome to send us one anytime by going to todayshomeowner.com slash ask. This one came in from Donald in Virginia. I have a cracked ceramic kitchen floor. I want to replace it with a vinyl or laminate floor, but the new floor must be slip resistant. I am a disabled uh, military vet and should be very easy to clean and waterproof. Do you have any suggestions? I could really use your help. Joe, if we think about the probably the most popular floor in the country right now, the luxury vinyl tiles, Absolutely, um, I wouldn't yeah. call them slip resistance. I'm sure there's some that'll have a bit of texture to them that will help right. a little bit on that. But most of the ones I've installed and seen installed have been pretty smooth. I mean, any material designed for floors has to meet certain standards for slip resistant. But does that mean they're all slip resistant? Well, some are more slip resistant than others. As far as between a vinyl floor and a laminate floor, I would think the vinyl floor, because it is a little softer, you know, I mean, it's it's not soft, but it's certainly soft in a laminate floor, which is made out of plastic laminate. Um, but they all are slip resistant. Now, if he wanted something, you know, I wouldn't go back with tile, because even though tile, if it's made designed for a floor, it has to have a certain slip resistance to it. I think I would probably go with the vinyl, and they have vinyl tiles or vinyl planks, which kind of look like wood. Um, laminate floor might be a little more slick, I, in my opinion. Um, so th- that's what I would suggest. And, um, you know, thank you for your service, Donald. But, uh, I think I would go with, if it's between vinyl and laminate, I would go with the vinyl. And Danny, yeah. you've installed tons of vinyl. I mean, have you found them to be slick, slick and all? Yeah, especially if you have any water on it at all. But there's some water, that have texture yeah. to it. Cause a lot of people have asked for the same thing. So, you know, yeah. you can pick one out that has a bit of a texture to it. And also in, in you know, some of those uh, areas like that, there's nothing wrong with a runner, uh, a carpet runner. Yeah. That you can put down. Um, How about track safe? Could we put that over? We haven't talked uh, about that in a while. Can you paint yeah, that over? 
Like, yeah, you uh, could. You you can um, yeah. use uh, track safe from uh, Deitch coatings and apply a light coat or two coats on it, and uh, that'll provide a little bit of uh, traction. So that it's might clear. be another way to go. Right, yeah, it's clear. It's clear, so sure. Okay. Hey, another email here from Helen in Alabama says, I have a concrete floor that I'd like to paint. How should I prep the surface to ensure the paint sticks? Looking forward to hearing from you. Now, Helen, uh, let's assume this is an inside, if it's an inside floor. Um, right. People do paint those, and they're, they will hold up better than it will outside. We generally don't recommend that because uh, a concrete stain that will uh, penetrate down into the pores of the wood probably is a better choice in most cases. Uh, but to clean it, um, it, you know, we'd recommend, uh, of course, you can pressure wash it, but if it's inside, that might be problematic. So uh, TSP, trisodium phosphate, something that's very po- uh, very uh, easy to get in the home centers or paint stores and then just follow the directions on that, you know, uh, really uh, use a scrub brush to clean it the best you can. Maybe put a fan on it to dry it out real well um, before you proceed with the painting. But, um, you know, I've seen some uh, pretty interesting concrete floors. Now, of course, the big trend of the acid washing was around for a long time, Mm -hmm. still is. Uh, But um, I've seen people taking uh, tape and making like stencils and well, stencils right. another way to go. But oh um, yeah, to, that's know, right. Just some decorative little lines here and there that you can do, and uh, that's a pretty inexpensive floor. I have found people tend to get tired of them after a while. They love it for a little while, yeah. and then after a while they go, you know, I want a traditional floor. And if right. that's the case, no problem. You go right back down over whatever you painted, and you're ready to go with whatever floor you may want. Yeah, as Danny said, we don't usually recommend painting concrete floors for the obvious reason that paint wears out. But um, if you're going to do it, make sure you use a floor paint. Usually it's sold as floor and oh, that's deck, right, good floor point. and deck paint or something like that. So make sure you use that. And then if it in an area that where you think it's going to be a lot of wear, like right inside the door, maybe put a clear coat over it, um, just to add a little more protection. But no matter what you put on there, it's going to wear out, you know, right. from just people walking. So be aware of that. Okay, one more email. Gwendolyn asks, I want to secure a peel-and-stick 12-inch square vinyl tiles to a plywood subfloor that's been collecting dirt and grease for years. Is there an adhesive that I can use without cleaning or stripping the subfloor? Um, that'd be a little risky because any anything that you have there can turn loose, any of the dirt or grease. Uh, I, I, would, I would really recommend cleaning it thoroughly with a degreaser. You can get a degreaser and a really good um, stiff bristle brush and just clean as much of it as you can, and then your peel and stick should work just fine. Um, if you want to ensure that it that it does and you want to put down another adhesive, um, look at the manufacturer as to what they recommend for the type of floor adhesive. It'll probably be a multi-purpose floor adhesive. You use the proper trowel so that you're getting just the right amount of glue on, and then you can put the tiles in, and that's that will work with the adhesive, the peel and stick adhesive that you already have. Hey, you're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. Short break, and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Today's Homeowner is brought to you by Fluid Master. Find out more at shop.fluidmaster.com. Okay, you've waited for it. Now is the time for our wonderful, simple solution starring my buddy, Joe (laughs) Truini. Well, thank you, Danny. It is nearly impossible to keep garden tools such as, you know, shovels, hoes, rakes, 
from rusting. And I know this because I have been in Danny's tool shed. <laughs> um, but but whether you're, whether you're an active do yourself like Dan who takes care of his tools or not, you know they they just rust. It's hard to not get them not uh, keep to keep them clean because they're always sticking them in dirt and they're you know they're wet all the time. But removing your rust can be a pretty messy and time consuming job unless you try this trick and this works really well. Start by soaking two or three terry cloth rags in distilled white vinegar. Next time you have a rag, a towel that someone in the house wants to throw away, don't. Save it because they make great rags for cleaning all kinds of surfaces, including these tools. So you soak these rags in white vinegar, wrap the rags around the rusty blade of the tool, then slip it, slip the, the tool into a plastic bag and twist tie the top. Let it soak for, I've done this, it works for at least 18 hours, depending on how much rust is on it, but 18 hours seems to be a good number. And then after 18 hours, unwrap the tool, sprinkle a generous amount of baking soda onto the blade and scrub it with a wire brush, not a nylon brush, which we often recommend, but in this case, a wire brush because you're not going to harm the tool and it really helps remove the rust. So you scrub with the brush, um, repeat this, put on more baking baking soda if you need to and keep scrubbing. And once you get it clean, you'll see, you'll get right down to bare metal. It won't look oh, brand boy. new, but it'll look pretty close. And then finally, you know, wipe the tool dry, of course, so it doesn't rust again and spray it with some lubricant. And that'll help delay any rusting. It's not, it's not going to prevent it from rusting forever, but it'll prevent it from rusting. And when you see it to start, start to rust, do this and only take you five or six minutes. You won't even have to wait the 18 hours, but you know, this is how to clean up a blade that's really rusty. Oh, that's good. And then if you still have a, a little bit of energy left after that, then you can uh, put a nice edge on those tools. And, that's right. You know, yeah. and, and one of the things I've realized is you don't need as many tools in those garden tools. You keep buying things, buying things. Right. I, I looked out there the other day, and there's two, you know three or four things I haven't used in three years. They're they're going to be recycled. Well, right. I'm going to take them and just drop them off at Chelsea's house. And uh, so she can, <laughs> she can use it. <laughs> Every time your son-in-law asks you to come up and work on something, bring him a tool. Yeah, bring another tool. Until he right. finally gets the message. Exactly. Hey, we want to remind you what you can see on the Today's Homeowner Television Show this weekend. It's a project we're calling a weather-wise exterior. We're talking about a house that sits right on Mobile Bay, just south of Mobile, Alabama. And it really catches some harsh um, conditions down there with salt water, salt mist, all kinds of wind, rain, and uh, so it can really damage the outside of a home. On this home, we put a whole brand new metal roof on and install it the right way so that uh, when that hurricane comes around, this roof will hang in there. Also, we did some other things with pressure washing, uh, showing how you can cover up rusty nails, um, straightening out a few handrails, some uh, some very common things that you might be dealing with on the exterior of your home. So head over to todayshomeowner.com and find out where you can see the uh, show in your area. And I always want to remind you about all of our streaming platforms. All you have to do is go to todayshomeowner.com slash stream to be able to see exactly where you can see almost 600 episodes of Today's Homeowner from this last 25 years. And season 25 will be posted very, very soon. So keep an eye out on all of that. Well, believe it or not, that wraps up the show for this week. It's always amazing how fast the show goes. Joe and I always have a great time, and I always want to remind you that you can reach out to us anytime, 24 hours a day, anytime, seven days a week. You can send us an email at todayshomeowner.com slash ask, or you can pick up the phone and call us at 800 946 
4420. I'm Danny Lipford along with my buddy Joe Truini. Big thanks to our producer, engineer Corey Wilson, and the whole Today's Homeowner family. Hoping you have a fantastic weekend and look forward to seeing you again next week here on Today's Homeowner Radio. We'll see you then.